Welcome to episode 19 of the Hoop Threads podcast. I'm here with Kyle Williams of Decide to Inspire, Team Takeover Grassroots, and also a long talk. Um, Kyle, how's it going, man? Doing great, Aaron, man. How's it going? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. So I wanted to have you on to, to give the people an understanding of what you're doing uh, with, uh, with a long talk, kind of the concept of it, um, how it's evolved over time, and uh, the, the change that you're looking to see. Um, I was able to take part in it. I, and I can say honestly right now, I'm not just saying this because you're on the screen. I, I'm 28 years old. I went through high school, went through four years of college and grad school and, you know, five years on the side of that, of, uh, of living in this world. And, and I learned a lot more <laughs> in our three days together than I did in all of that education. And I, mean, I went to private school and high school. I went to community college. I went to a public four-year school. And then I went to a private school, Syracuse University for grad school. And mm. it, it's amazing, you know, the, the lack of knowledge I had on some of these issues of race. So uh, let, let's get into that. But first off, let's, let's go back to the beginning and how you started. So um, take us back to, you know, your, your basketball roots um, back in New Jersey. How'd you get to um. I guess for me, man. Thanks, Aaron. I'm, I'm I'm glad you joined us for a long talk, and we're definitely we'll, we'll definitely get into that. I think um you know my basketball was like you know when I fell in love with the game. I guess as a, as a kid, you know my my basketball roots you know take me all the way back to, back to New Jersey. You know I think you know I have I have uh I have a I have a I have a, almost a, a a huge background in the DMV now in terms of what's happening. But my original roots, man, my I, you know I didn't play past tenth grade in high school. You know what I mean? So my, but my love for the game, my love as a kid to be able to play the game, I think it just goes back to being, you know, uh, just a kid running around playing in the parks, you know, and then, uh, you know, coming into, into the, to the, to the DMV, my, my roots obviously go back to my kids. You know, once my kids started playing, that's when I got involved in, in what was going on here in the DMV. Absolutely. Let's go back to your playing days real quick. Cause you were telling me off camera. So you were, uh, you know, you're you're backing up Derek Johnson, who ended up going to UVA, and uh, you you quit the team because you kind of saw where that was going, <laughs> playing behind yeah. him. Yeah, um, yeah. So talk about your experiences at, at Hampton and uh, Old Dominion, and uh, I know you wanted the people to know that you're a two-time <laughs> intramural champ at an HBCU and a PWI. So uh, there it is. There talk it about is. Your, your college and high school experience, and then we'll, indeed, it's she. Well, now I can say, you know, going back to high school, I, you know, I love the game, but I. I Unlike unlike my children who who are you know who are huge, huge I, I graduated from high school as a five eight hundred and fifty five pound you know, athlete right in my mind but um but I, I played behind a great you know coming through elementary school middle school I knew as this guy in my class we were actually good friends and as we came through middle school into high school he was a six three freshman starting on the varsity I was a five seven freshman struggling to get a time on the freshman team so I kind of knew after about two years I was like Derek's playing the same position I'm playing he's getting all you know he's, back then it was huge even just going to five-star camp and stuff like that. But he was, I knew he was really good. So I knew for me, as much as I loved the game, I had a better seat at the top of the balcony, at the top of the bleachers with my friends, you know, watching from up there and cheering for my guys. And we just put out, but I, that, that really, for me, the game, I still love the game so much though. And I actually got a little growth spur in my freshman year of college, um, which then of course led to the two-time <laughs> intramural championship. <laughs> but no, but I went to Hampton, just, uh, I love the game, played behind, you know, Harkness Hall every day. Um, you know, and then just intramural, we played, I had a really good squad, my intramural team, won, won an intramural championship Then I went over to ODU, I transferred and got with some guys over there, 
now that I knew how to win the championship, I said to come over to ODU. Now I got with some really some guys who actually played on the ODU basketball team before. We, I just jumped on the on the mob and we went on another one. So, but uh, but I just I was a love of the game. So for me, you know, basketball has been always been something that's been, I've been passionate about forever. So let's talk real quick too about your you know your dad as a coach. You know, you kind of grew up on the sidelines. Talk about the importance of having that role model, you know, and that example and kind of his influence on your life. Absolutely. So my dad, you know, coming up and playing for New Jersey, my dad was, uh, he coached football, basketball, wrestling, at some point swimming. Uh, but he was my, in the high school that I went to, he was the football coach, you know, so I was, I grew up on, literally on the sidelines, literally from the little kid running around with the, with the ball to being, you know, a quarterback and a receiver when I got into the high school. And again, as a, as a, as a my, my, my high school football career ended at the ninth grade, <laughs> but but just being able to, but being able to be around the teams, my, you know, the guys to this day, my, you know, people still reach out to me, people that my dad coached and, you know, just guys who are my age or even older, um, you know, who just kind of talk about the impact he had on their life. So I think, you know, it got me into, you know, coaching and youth sports. Um, one, because I just saw his impact again, they, they were my, both my parents are educators. And so being community minded, being about building, you know, and, and, and then investing in kids. Uh, my dad was always there for me and my friends. And I just wanted to do the same thing for my kids. And, uh, when I started coaching, it really was about not so much knowing everything about the game, but it was about knowing about how a coach can can have an impact on people. You know, so for me, it was really from the, even from the beginning, it was about making an impact and, and, and try to really be a role model, um, you know, and for, for for the kids and for the parents alike. Because, you know, there's, as you know, in the, in, in, in the world we live in, in this area, sometimes it's the parents that need a better role model, even even more so than that, which then <laughs> you know, leads to my takeover work. But, you know, but that's that's kind of. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. So, um, you know, you were telling me off camera that that you know, with your sons, uh, you moved down about ninety eight to uh, Peachy County um, from Jersey, and uh, Jelani and Elijah were, were little 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 guys. Jelani was like five, Elijah was like three, and you would uh, play in pickup games uh, in Columbia, and uh, somehow got connected, you know, at an all star game in Largo uh, for Jelani with uh, Tony Thompson, Aaron Thompson's dad, who was with uh, DC Blue Devils at the time. And, you know, kind of Jelani playing on the same team with him, uh, you know, asked you to coach. So talk about kind of your early involvement with uh, Team Takeover and kind of your development um, of the grassroots program to, to what it is now. Yep. So now I definitely as Jelani grew up and um, we started playing rec ball. Um, he was playing in an a, a, a all-star game for rec team. And he actually was playing. He, he played the first game and then he just started warming up with the second guys and, and, and started playing up. And, and Tony Thompson, like I said, Aaron's dad, um, you know, just saw him playing, saw him shooting. We started getting to talking. He um, kind of invi invited Jelani over to his team just to kind of take a look at it. Um, we were really going to the next season. But as I sat there with him, I just kind of enjoyed what he was doing. But I was helping kids out on the sides. I was giving Jelani pointers up during the, you know, during the breaks. And after a couple of practices, you know, Tony just came up to me and asked me if I wanted to coach. And at the time, I really didn't want to coach. I didn't plan on coaching. But he talked to me about what he saw about how I interacted with the kids. And again, I knew that was what coaching was all about. So we jumped on board. And then, you know, Tony and I had an incredible run from hell, third grade. That that group, we, we had a great run with multiple teams before we were even with TakeOver. We were D.C. Uh, DC Blue Devils and uh, we were Maryland's finest. And then we got with TakeOver. Um, but it was a great group of kids, you know, Sadiq Bay, Aaron Thompson, um, you know, eventually that, that group, Quentin Drayton, 
I mean, Eddie Scott. I could name. We had we had nine. We, we had nine kids that played ball, college college basketball, and one played college football. Cam Spence out of Maryland on that team, and uh, we just had a great time. But also a great time with the parents. You know, great, really a great experience. So, you know, I think going through to that, I understood what this what the scene should be about. And so, as I you know been blessed with three sons who have played sports, as I got down to my last one to Caleb. Um, you know, I have, after having gone through it and 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 seeing kind of how the scene was um, put together, a plan with some some uh, some other takeover coaches to really organize and really structure our grassroots program. Um, and when I went back and we started the class of 2023, and we built from 2023 up um, from second grade, and we really just tried to organize and structure something that was going to be um, great coaching, great families. Uh, and also just in terms of great development, making sure that the kids, no matter where they came into our program, they got better every single year. And so it led us to always do more things. And, and, and it's been great over the last five or six years, what we've been able to do with Team Takeover Grasses. I'm really proud of, of what we accomplished with that. Yeah, in a previous podcast episode, we had uh, we had Ray and Neb on and we were, we were talking about, you know, that I think it was the 2008. 18 team takeover team that won peace jam correct 2018 yeah yep. uh you know hunter and mir and uh justin and casey and all those kids have been playing together since they were yep. like third third grade fifth grade something like that i mean that's that's incredible to bring them along the whole way and i mean that's something that's obviously unique to this area uh before we switch over to uh sidwell let's talk real quick too about the uh, basketball academy that that you were a part of putting together um and also talking about your experience as a father, you know, who's had kids come through, you know, not only take over, but through the high school ranks now um, and, and kind of what perspective that lends to uh, you being able to put these events together to, to showcase the high schools to the parents and, and the, uh, the kids and also to kind of give them a feel for what the school is like off the court. Absolutely. So what we did, you know, the off season and, you know, AAU basketball season, we know it's, it's really 11 months of, of AAU or travel basketball. But when we look at, at what takeover, we, what we decided to do was take our off season, our winter and our fall season. And instead of just playing in winter leagues or, you know, traveling to tournaments, we were going to really get down to the fundamentals with the kids. And so we started the basketball academies. And when we talked about the fundamentals, you know, triple, we're talking about triple threat, all we are up, up to our sixth graders, everything. We got down to fundamental basketball. But what we did more importantly, though, we, of course, we played and we did other things, but we wanted to also get them down to the fundamentals of understanding that this is about books and basketball. Like, you know, anybody is a, a lot of kids are going to play basketball. A lot of kids are going to play, you know, a lot of different sports. We want our kids to be the kids that, that have to where their involvement in sports and their and their academic prowess gets them free education. And at whatever level of free that is for them. Um, but, we, you know, we, we really focus on uh, making sure that our kids can get the best type of education and not have to pay for it. And we want to make sure we show them the, the places that we're talking about. So we took our, our basketball academy on the road every Sunday. Every, every, we did it every Sunday, September, October, November. And we went to different high schools in the area. So we went to Good Council. We went to City Bowl Friends. We went to Archbishop Carroll. We went to Coolidge. We went to um, O'Connell. We went to Severn School. We went to a bunch of different places where, um, you know, where we wanted, we wanted the parents and the kids to see what was out there for them so they understood when we talk about it's bigger than basketball, the opportunities that, that it represents represents you know i can say for me you know to have three to have three children that have gone through sitwell friends um and we, they did a lot of stuff off the court but the, their ba basketball was part of the part of the package that that gave them an opportunity to do something that i you know i had never 
plan for that to happen for them. But I know having watched what, what this area does and what this and what this area values and what these schools are doing for students who can be great athletes and great um, basketball players, it was a no brainer that I was going to try to get um, as much as on the table was on the table, you know, for me. And I know that, for, you know, for my kids with everything, you know, if, if my youngest son continues on the path that he's on and continues to go to school at Sidwell and goes on to college and plays Division One basketball, you know, I know that basketball will have put, you know, over a million dollars in tuition reimbursement back into my pocket for this education that my kids have gone through. It's, that's invaluable more than any other trophy, any other, anything else that's going on. That 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 education that my kids have been able to get because people have helped me to to, to structure their you know their lives and structure their their progress and their development. People like Tony Thompson and Keith Stevens and Doug Martin, Eric Singletary, those guys that really you know poured into my kids and have done it consistently. So I think um, for me, I just wanted to give that back to other people. You know, for me, it's like I, I kind of saw the formula. I saw what worked. I saw what what you know what what it, what what you need to, what you need to present to be able to receive those things. And so I'm just trying to help other people achieve that through Team Takeover. Absolutely. Let's talk about your role with uh, with Sidwell under under Coach Singletary. Uh, kind of talk about what it is you do, how you got to be involved with them. Um, I know you guys have been really, really good at identifying underrated talent in this area, which in the DMV might be easier than other places because there's so much of it to go around, but kind of talk about that role and, and how that's progressed. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, 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 uh, it's, uh, every, every Sidwell shirt I, I have, I paid for right? So I, I, I think it worked for Eric Singleton. I said, that's, that's for you, Eric. Cause I, but, but no, but seriously, um, I think for me, I, I'm in, I'm in, I invest in my, in my kids, right? So if my, if my child is involved in something, I'm going to be a part of that. And so for, even from going back to, you know, coaching with Tony, um, I want to be involved. And so my, and, and my involvement is not a, you know, pressure. I got to be involved is that I'm just going to have conversations with you. And so, through talking to Eric and getting to know Eric, I, you know, my, my first my first recruiting call with Eric Singletary was, was lasted an hour. We talked on the phone for an hour. I sat on a park bench and sat and talked to him for an hour. And so we connected on a level where it was like, OK, let's go build something special. Mm-hmm. And so I just committed at that point that we're going to take this great opportunity and offer it to as many of us as we can that fit the mold, that fit the formula, that are going to you know, want to work hard in, in, inside the classroom and on the court. You know, they're going to be built to win, you know, going to be built to to be a, a, at a place where they have high expectations and high pressures in terms of academics. And it's not an excuse to not win as well. And so we looked at we started just kind of talking about it and then being, of course, a part of takeover and being and seeing and being on the circuit. I, I just know a lot of people. I see a lot of things. And I, I guess the biggest thing is I know what Eric's looking for. You know, I know what I know what a sit little kid looks like. So it's easy for me to say, even when they're, when they're in the third grade. You know, mm-hmm. I can say you fit the mold and let's go talk, you know, so even our even our grassroots kids, again, it's, it's intentional that we bring them on the academy to civil friends. It's intentional that we have some going into there at sixth grade. Um, Cam Gillis, who's a kid who played with Durant in terms of his AAU, but started in our grassroots program, got introduced to Sidwell friends through our grassroots program in the fifth grade. You know, so he's, you know, starting point guard up there now. So as we've been able to, to build a program, we've been able to identify the kids that fit and Eric and that staff will do a great job with them. So for me, it's really a pleasure to be a proud supporter, you know, of the program. Every, every t-shirt you paid for, that's, that's a great line. I love it. So let's talk about, uh, let's get to the, the long talk, what we're here for, um, you know, talk about bringing your sons to the uh, civil rights march in DC and, um, the the conversations that that your son had with the teammate that that led to the whole concept of this uh talk coming together tell that story 
Absolutely. Um, you know, I think it, it's when you think about what's happened over the summer, you know, I have a 20, a 22 year old son. I have about 22 years old, um, you know, 19 year old son and 15 year old. So I have I have kids who are, you know, six, five black men in America. Right. And so when things are happening and, and my, this is not new for us, we you know, we talked about this for years. But when the uh, protest jumped off that first week, uh, they wanted to go down there. And they were actually staying at their mom's house and she was hysterical between COVID and rubber bullets. She was not really trying to have them go down there. Um, and she called me and I was kind of like, you know what I'm going to say, right? Like, <laughs> she just said, you know, she was like, no, I want you to go with them. And I was like, all right, cool. So we went, we actually went the next day because I had the game plan with them. Like it wasn't, we didn't just jump in the car and go. It was Saturday, it was getting late. We had to talk about what it was and we went Sunday. Um, and, you know, it was an incredible experience, um, you know, I can't even say that I participated as much as I would have liked to because I was literally like security for my sons, yeah. like literally standing with them, watching everything that I know that they weren't going to see and things that I needed to be them to be aware of because it was a very volatile time. It was not a game. It was not it was you could get hurt. So um, so coming back from that from that day, uh, one of Elijah's roommates started posting some stuff and saying all kinds of stuff. And it was like it was anti to what we were trying to do, anti to the movement, you know what I mean? And so Elijah was getting upset um, to the point where it was getting like physical, like it was it was, it was getting a little threatening. And I realized they were having a, a conversation that, be, that was hard to have in America, it was about race. And so they were, they were struggling with it. Um, so I, they called each other, they, they tried to talk it out, it was getting worse. And what it led to for me was, I knew that Elijah and his teammates shared another adult, and that was their coach, BJ Dunn, at Gettysburg. So I texted BJ, you know, 10 o'clock at night and, and basically said to him, you got a problem. We need to talk about it. And he called me back that night, you know, and that conversation started with he and I literally having a hard, uncomfortable conversation about race in America. You know, and it and has begun and is a long talk that has continued with with him. He's He was the first person I had this conversation with. And now, you know, a few months, um, we've done 10 calls. We've had 500 people that have gone through the calls. We're working with four or five different universities um, in terms of having this conversation. But it just led us to say, let's let's sit down with some facts, some truth, and let's have an honest, open conversation about what you believe, what I believe, why we're led to believe certain things about each other, and then how do we get past that to get to the America that we all want to want to be a part of, you know? And so that was the that was the motivation for it. Gotcha. So it really came from a, a parent perspective. And I mean, I, I, I think I remember when I was going through it, you talking about how, you know, he reached back out after that and was like, yo, like, this is good. I want to talk to the team, you know, give me some resources. Um, so let's talk about kind of the components of, uh, I mean, of the curriculum, really, for, for, for a long talk. So you go through a history of race in America. Uh, I've blanking on the gentleman's name on you. Jeffrey Robinson. And, and that's actually the video you talk about with BJ. That's the video. After I talked to BJ that first time, you know, it was a very emotional call. I gave him, you know, 400 years of frustration, you know, in my conversation. And I realized he couldn't really understand what I was saying. You know what I mean? Like he could, he, he wanted to, but he couldn't really get it because yeah. he just didn't know. Um, and so uh, a friend of mine had shared with me the video, The History of Race in America by Jeffrey Robinson. And I sent that to the coach. I said, coach, just watch this. I didn't expect it to, you know, I just literally just was like, watch this and let me know how, what you think. And like 20 minutes into the video, he's texting me like, what is going on here? What, what have I missed? And he started to show, cause it just, it just laid out this, this historical intentionality 
that go all the way back to 1619, that go all the way back to the founding fathers of, you know, again, to say that this is why I connect the dots. Let's just connect the dots and then deal with the problem instead of all this other fluffy stuff. So once he watched that video as part of the curriculum, that's what took off running. So that's that's required reading, that's required video for everyone that comes on our calls. So like you said, the pre-work has um, articles, it has videos, um, but it prepares people to get to the call, pre you know, prepare to have the conversation because we're not, we're not arguing with racists. We're not, we're not looking to convince a racist to not be racist. We're really just sorting through people because if you can get through our pre-work and want to come talk to us after that, then we can talk to you. You know, but if you some people won't will watch our pre-work and be like, yeah, I'm not <laughs> not ready for that conversation right now. And that's fine for whatever reason. So um, but it really the pre-work sets the tone for when people do come onto the call. You know, as you saw, it, it, it's a serious conversation. We don't, it's we got 90 minutes to really let. 30, 50, 100 people sit and, and deal with this and talk about it. So it's, it's we don't really have a lot of time for fluff and waste of time. People got to come prepared to do the work. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was back in college and I was reading through this stuff, but that, that's a good type of education. So, you know, you went through that, uh, The Uncomfortable Truth, which is on Prime Video, and then uh, Medical News Today, an article about everything you know about white fragility. Uh, Coach Seth Berger, um, I believe in Newtown, uh, his open letter to white people, which we'll get to later. Uh, white Supremacy and Anti-Blackness from Dr. Nicole Caridad Ralston. Um, mm -hmm. The soundtrack to the struggle that you put together that I have now listened to. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't get to it beforehand. But And then uh, not only did you have the pre-work, but you also had the post-work. So, you know, after day one, it was James Baldwin's I'm Not Your Negro. Second day, it was uh, Robin D'Angelo's discussion on, on white fragility. And then uh, day three was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's How to Sustain Anti-Racism Momentum. Um, talk about providing these resources for people to, to learn more if they can't partake in like a three-day discussion because of work or you know, laziness or, you know, just, just busyness, quote unquote. I'll say it to you this way, you know, people talk about the importance of understanding whether you go to a, to a call like a long talk or you just get a library card, like whatever, whatever, whatever your mission is to get information. The reason why it's so important is because you've been misinformed, right? Like people have to understand that there's, there's, you know, the library is where they bury the lies, right? That's where they're putting all. That's where the truth sits because all the stuff that's that's been told to you has been, you know, not not everything, but most of the stuff that's been told to you in the sense of what's what was chose what what what's been chosen to be shared with you is is you know, is put you at a place where you're, you're just misinformed right and so we want whatever wherever your range is wherever you're going to go you need to go get some truth to have this conversation you know and it, whether it's a video like jeffrey robinson's which i think does a great job whether it's a book you want to read you know stamped uh, uh if you want to read any of those books that are out there cast there's a bunch of different books that give you the back the, the background knowledge to have the conversation right and so that's why you know it, it, it was that's why it's so important for us to really set the tone and, and bring that much to the table and make sure people really read because because it, it really until you get angry until you understand what happened and what's happening and you get a little upset about it and you get a little you know get a little connected to the truth you really aren't going to do anything like you can talk about stuff you can but you're not going to do anything until you say there's some things that are just that have just been wrong that I need to do some work to fix as an American citizen to do something to make this this country a more perfect union. Yeah, uh, there was a quote from uh, Jeffrey Robinson in that video where he said, "History is not something you read about in a book. It's not about the past. It's about the present." And I think that's a big part of this discussion. Is you know we know that that slavery existed and and but we we don't know some of the other stuff about the economy and about 
you know, housing um, that, that continue to have, you know, effects today. You know, it's not just, uh, you know, this happened once, closed and shut, you know, and, and it's over with now. It's like, these are still lasting effects that are felt by one community and enabled by another community being quiet about it. Um, this isn't a we can agree to disagree conversation, you know, either, either you're anti-racism or you're not. And I remember you saying that in one of the sessions. So at what point do you disengage from these conversations, whether it's on social media or whether it's in person? I think, no, nah, but I think for me, the important part is we're just, I'm just sorting for people, right? I'm not trying to argue with racism. I, you know, I, I've learned how to navigate through white supremacy my whole life. So I'm not trying to make someone believe something they don't want to believe. What I am learning is how to have conversations that, that lead to more thought, that really challenge people's thoughts. Because I, what I have learned is that some people aren't racist. They just say racist things. They just repeat things they've heard and that they don't understand the, the, the racist overtone. But for some people that do, and for, for me, I just want to find out who you are because I'll continue to talk to you if I'm realizing that you're just unaware and you're ignorant and I'm going to, you know, spend some time talking to you to try to give you some information. As long as you go with the information and learn something, we can talk. I learned in these conversations too, but when you decided to be ignorant, when you decided I'm, I'm just, I'm not interested in facts, I'm just want to, then I, yeah, I'm done with you. One of my, one of my slogans is, you know, in the war on ignorance, we waste no bullets on the dumb, you know, and racists are dumb. They, they just choose to be dumb. So, you know, if you choose to be racist, you're literally choosing to be dumb. So, um, because there's just so much information out that shows you how, what's really at play and what you need to be aware of. So, what are some of the ideologies and misconceptions that people come with, um, bring to these conversations? What, what do they come with? What, what's something that you often kind of have to break down? Uh, either either intentionally or unintentionally by just showing them, you know, A, B, and C. That's a great question. I think um, I think one of the things is that the people who are coming to the calls are are, are my call is not mandatory, right? You have you literally you have to, you can't even get the link to my call until you watch the video and respond to it. Like so, the pre work is not just people can just flip. You're gonna literally watch this stuff and respond. So I'm. For me, I've already, they're already coming at one, at some place, there's not, I mean, not saying that they, you know, they're still dealing with stuff, but they're at least coming with an open mind. So I think for me, that's the best part is I'm getting people to have open minds. So one of the, I guess the biggest idea that I want, you know, for, for people that are coming that are, that don't know the history, don't understand it. I want them to have an open mind to connect the dots, right? So sometimes they, they want to compartmentalize because like, oh, it can't be that bad. Our, our country couldn't have done it over and over and over and over again. And when you connect, you know, 1619 all the way through COINTELPRO, when you connect it through the war on drugs, like when, when all they have to admit like, okay, it's been a plan. And it's, you know, so I think sometimes for white people, they come to the call and they want to be a part of it. They want to understand it, but it's hard for them to really grasp how big it is, you know, and, and we're given nothing but facts. I, the stuff I'm talking about is stuff that they've admitted to. This is not, you know, this is, <laughs> this is not, this, I'm not making any of this stuff up. Yeah. Um, but I, so I think that's one side. Now, interestingly enough, though, for black people that come on the call, what I find is I have to get them to, to trust that white people really are here, that the ones who show up for our cause, at least, are really are here to make a difference, like who really are here to go through the process with it. And I think after three days and they see people, you know, struggling with being uncomfortable, you know, white people struggling on the call, being uncomfortable, black people getting emotional about things that are going on. And I think people being able to have that conversation at the end of the three days, I think. We, we try to get people over the misconception that that we that we're that we're too far apart that we can't, that it's not going to happen like literally together we can that's kind of the, the issue we want to get to by the end of these calls is that everybody sees a group of people 20 30 50 100 who are trying to work on this thing and committed to working on it long term so mm -hmm. 
what do you want participants of, of a long talk to come away with? What do you want to see them bring back to their organizations, to their teams, or just to their family? You know, if they're an everyday, you know, just regular citizen. Yeah. I want them to have the confidence to be on the right side of history. I think it's really that simple. Wherever you plant your flag on the right side of history, whether it be just, you know, never allowing other racist joke to happen in your presence, to whether it be your family dinner table or your work lunch table. Right. I want it to be, I want them wherever you, wherever your, wherever your stance is, because people come from different, different spaces. Like I, I have people who have gotten on my calls who are like, like I'm on here because I, I, cause I'm a racist. Like I'm trying to, I'm, I've been taught this stuff. I've been, I'm trying to learn to be better. And they've gotten on my call. So I, their jump, you know, I just to jump on the right side of history is a big deal. All right. Some people like BJ Dunn, who were already on the right side of history and just needed some energy. And I, you know, put the battery in his back because he's like, I see it now. I can do something. And I realize I have a voice and I have power and activism. He's gone off and done things, you know, has a list of things he's already accomplished, right? So, you know, so I think whatever people can do, I want them to, 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 get, to get energized, to find their voice, to understand why it's time to act, why they can't be on the non-racist side right now of this. There is one side of history or another right now. And so I think if people accept their role and accept their, the challenge of being, you know, activated, I think, I think as long as they start doing something, I, I'm good with that. Yeah, and, and going to Coach Dunn is at Gettysburg College, correct? Yeah. yeah. So talk about them being the uh, the breaking ground, being the pioneers as far as your your campus outreach. Talk about the outreach efforts that you have on campuses uh, for this fall and uh, going forward. What what that type of participation looks like, and how um, their their efforts with uh, your program are, are kind of you know lining up to to try to bring about change in a in a very plausible way you know on college campuses absolutely no we um so after the call we did um little background the call when i first did this call i we used the team takeover platform to call uh every every college that was recruiting our kids to the table mm -hmm. um you know i had the conversation over time because I, I don't think people understand that you guys were, were flexing your muscles a little bit because we were we saying yo <laughs> you're using your platform for the right way let's talk about that because that's important and people i'm glad you brought that because that, that is an important part of this because you know you gotta think back to the time this was i think i think we sent the letter out maybe june 7th so we're talking less than two weeks since george Floyd was murdered and so it was i mean it was it was wild it was it was a lot of emotions a lot going on and so i reached out to keith once i had this interaction with my son's coaches because i also talked to his coaches at penn you know, and they were they and, and that Graham took it and started moving. And so once I realized that I could find some allies for my kids, I was like, you know what? We work with too many kids for me to be feeling this good, you know, to send my kids back to school. But those guys, we need to find out where everybody is. And I don't want to do social media tweets. I don't want I don't care what your post is. We want you to come to the table. And yeah. so I called Keith and, and to his credit, you know, Keith didn't you know, Keith didn't hesitate. You know, he didn't he didn't think or oh, the brand or Nike. Nah, he was like, yeah, let's get everybody at the table. And so and we didn't mass email, you know, key. It took a, it took a minute. We, we gave people three weeks notice to get on this call because we didn't want to have any excuses around, you know, scheduling if possible. Right. And so we put it out to everybody. I mean, they Keith made personal calls, Doug, you know, personal phone calls to assistant coaches, head coaches, um, every program you could think of that wants to take over kid, which is every program you could think of. Right. And so it, it was absolutely a full flex. And because of that, uh, we ended up with over 100 coaches on the call, over 50 universities on the call. We had 
uh, three or four national champions on the call with $60 million in annual salary on the call. Um, we had a mix of uh, assistant coaches. I think we had about 70, about 70 head coaches, about 35 assistant coaches. Um, you know, good, uh, a good mix of that we had, um, you know, and we just basically had a conversation for three, day, three days. We had Grant Hill who opened up our call. He was, um, did, did basically the, the welcome. Um, so it was a pretty big deal. ESPN was on the call. And so because of that, these schools, these coaches got energized, these coaches got excited and we've been connected. And so we've been working through the coaches and the athletic departments to bring the long talk to college campuses. And so we opened up with Gettysburg. It just made sense, obviously, that, you know, BJ being the first conversation, um, but then also Gettysburg being, I mean, the Gettysburg address, right? So it's, it's not, it's, right it's, it's on a lot of different levels, right? And because my son is there. So it's, it's personal, it's, it's a national thing, but it's also the beginning of the conversation. So they are the alpha chapter, um, you know, of having gone through a long talk and they're in the process. We, when, when, when these universities finish a long talk, we have a sister organization that's a, a nonprofit. And it's the American Anti-Racism Alliance. And so though, that's the uh, organization that's going to support student-run organizations on the campuses um, and that will support with programming, but also just to, to begin to, to establish an anti-racist environment on the campus and having a team of people that come through our calls and then are able to activate and, and, and do some things on campus to make a difference. So we've worked with Gettysburg. Um, and again, I, when I don't, we, we didn't finish the call because it's the beginning of it, but Gettysburg has started, um, LSU has started, uh, we will have uh, Michigan State this week, uh, we're finishing up a, a program with VCU, which is actually a, a, a separate program, but is actually um, specifically just for the VCU basketball team. Uh, we have Florida on the calendar for next month, so we, we have some, um, some schools that we're going to be working on as continue to roll it out. Um, but we're excited about, you know, we're excited about the, the, the vision that people have to have a spirit of anti-racism to come, you know, be a part of their campus community intentionally. And, and that's what we're looking to do. And is, is on a micro level, is that kind of something where you're training the student leaders and then the student leaders are kind of running stuff on, on campus? Or are you guys on calls every week with them, you know, in those meetings? What's that look like? Yeah, so what we've done, what we've done right now with the schools, we, we're starting with the athletic departments and the diversity councils and committees. And so th that's kind of the first, uh, the core group of people that are coming through our, our long talk on, on, these, on these campuses. And then what we're doing as we spread it out to more students, as they build a student organization, we will definitely have our calls, we'll have support materials, we have uh, training videos, we'll do uh, videos and just things, any type, we'll help them with organizing, we'll help them with recruitment. Um, anything we can do to support the organization. And again, that's that's those are in the infancy right now. Um, but as these as these programs are are enrolling in our in our in our program, that's what's gonna what we're gonna leave on campus, if you will, the lasting benefit. It's not just a one-time roll through, we have this conversation and we're done. We want to stay connected to the work because at Decide to Inspire, we believe it's a 15 a 15-year game plan, you know, to 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 eliminate this effect of racism, to really push it to the side to the point where we can go a generation of re-educating our children and our future leaders to make sure they understand at least what to be, you know, what, what they're looking for in terms of anti-racism. Mm -hmm. Last question um, is a quote from Coach Berger's uh, article entitled an open letter to white people that, that ran, I believe in June, I forget off the top of my head, but he said, fight for change or admit you don't care. You are either fully for racial equality or you are fully against it. There was never a middle. It was a mythical place where white moderates have been since the days of slavery. So, What's something that well-intentioned, you know, white folks, um, what's something that they're doing that can be shaped into something more constructive? What does being an ally look like to you? 
I, I would say, you know, talk, pe- there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of conversation, people are reading things, but the biggest thing is just do something because you, you have no idea what your, your, your sphere of influence is. You know, people talk about this word ally, you know, ally, an idea of an ally is a person that, uh, you know, is someone who says, I'm, I'm here if you need me. I'm here if you need me. I'm here to help, right? So there's this, even still in that is a passivity, right? I'm here if you need me. Well, we don't need, we, we need everybody. Like we, we need everybody. So that you've already answered that call, right? So then I guess there's a level of a co-conspirator almost, right? Like I want to get in the plan. Let's plan to do something that's going to affect change. Let's, let's be a part of something. You know, but then you even have, if you think historically, you have the abolitionists, right? If you, if you really want to do something, the abolitionists were like, I'm opposed to this. I'm going to do everything in my power. The abolitionists presented themselves to the movement and said, here are my gifts and talents. Use me as you need. Right. And so understanding that you, wherever you are in the continuum of whether, you know, it can, racism is a continuum of, of racism to anti-racism. And that's what that quote talks about. This middle space doesn't exist. It, it's, it's a point where you make a decision to be on one side or the other. So sitting on the middle does not means literally you've made the decision not to join the right side of history, which puts you on the wrong side of history, whether you're over here, or over here. So people just have to understand that talking about it, it it's, 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 it's the conversation has begun. Join it and start doing some things and let's, and, you know, and let's start activating because, you know, the your sphere of influence is incredible. It's, if, if you're reaching one or two people or, or if you're running a corporation, Right. Just do something that makes a change that, that, that really, you know, push push this in focus and says this is something we're not going to tolerate here. And then we're going to do everything we can in our power to make sure that this country is a more perfect union because it is truly an, a place of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness and quality for all. That's all. That's all we're asking for. That's all we're, we're trying to we're trying to get to the country to that point. So do whatever you can to get there. And it starts with voting on November 3rd. Y'all all know that we don't have to say that. Because straight up, listen, people talk about being one issue voters. If you've been, I don't, you know, if you've been a pro-life voter your whole life, but that was your one one issue and that was all that mattered, just try two elections, two presidential and, 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 and congressional elections and just do a one, be one issue and let that be about anti-racism and vote for those people for just eight years. And let's see what happens. Let's see, let's see where we are with that. Let's give it a shot. Got you. So we've taken up enough of your time, learned a lot from this call as well. Um, talk about the next call that you have and, and where people can find you on social media. So we actually have a call. Um, we actually have a call coming up on the, on the, uh, we actually have a call starting tomorrow. So our next call is start. We start with Michigan state tomorrow. We also have a, a, a free, a public call um, tomorrow. Our, our social media is at a long talk 2020. Uh, most of our, most of our public calls are, um, are you know just do word of mouth. So Aaron, you you get those invites. So just make sure you send them out to everybody who's who subscribes to your channel because that's how we get them out there. But uh, we, we're definitely going to be doing more public calls as we move forward. But uh, yeah, our social media, Long Talk Twenty Twenty is our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Really great resources there. You, I mean, great information we put out. We do, we're in the middle of our Black Thought Twenty One Day Black Thought Freestyle Challenge that I know Aaron's been listening to every day. <laughs> but now just it's really good stuff on our social media. Check us out. Absolutely. All right. You have the floor. Is there, there any last any last thoughts that you have? Any uh, anything that you want the, the people to know about your program and, and how to enact change on, on personal level? 
I would say, man, I just want to thank you. I, I think in, in terms of, you know, you're here because of my program. You know, you're, you're, we've stayed in the conversation. Like you were literally, we've been having a long talk since the first time we met. You know what I mean? We've had, you know, I, I give you a lot of credit for um, the platform you're, you have and, and for deciding what to put on this platform. Um, and I also give you credit for, you know, your personal stuff. Like you, when you called me, we had that talk on the phone. Like we had, we talked for over an hour, but it was the great thing about it was you were being honest and open about, you know, what can I do? What, you know, what, this is what I learned. Um, and I, you know, from, and we've, you know, stayed connected since then. So I think the, the biggest testament to our program is the work that you that you continue to do, because literally that's what it's all about. It's literally about having a conversation that's been so long, not, not had, not had, and now people are having it and look at the great things that are happening. So I would just say, brother, continue doing what you're doing, continue plugging on and continuing to improve and read and, and you know, and do those things you got to do because, you know, you're a powerful voice out here. And so, you know, we need you to continue to push forward, man. So I appreciate you. I don't know about the power of a voice part. We'll, we'll get there one day, but I, I do everything I can. Appreciate your time, Kyle. Indeed, man. Thanks a lot. All right, brother.